Boy, this is loud. Sorry. I don't usually use mics for that reason, because i got a big mouth. Um, my name is Jim Crowder. I'm the CEO of a, a newly formed company at Clarity, uh, based out of Bend, Oregon. And uh, with me today, joining me are my associates, David Vogel and uh, Amy Goon in the back there, and our latest addition, Nate O'Neill. So we're going to cover the formation of Clarity today and identify the technology that I'd like to really recognize Total Comfort and Mazda and their teams for the effort they put forth in the last 18 months running our pilot program and testing this technology. Uh, their patience and, and perseverance uh, got us to a really, really great outcome. So we're really excited to be able to share this with you. And like, any, like many have said, it's so fun to, to be back together again uh, with a family known as Lake. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun working with you guys. So I uh, can't, can't tell you how excited we are to be here. So with that, um, and Clarity is the uh, third startup company that I've been involved in in the HVAC space. Uh, my background is in technology, and I, I came into HVAC in 2002 with my first company, Aerovice, where we innovated the use of indoor quality monitoring. Pretty early in the game, but uh, we had a, a good run, sold the company in 2012. We formed Building Advice as a platform for sales teams in the mechanical service space to really leverage the underlying energy consumption in buildings to, to justify a more comprehensive uh, maintenance program or, or preventative maintenance program. And uh, just about two years ago during COVID, we formed Hen Clarity over video conferences amongst ourselves with another company, North Park Innovation Group out of New York, and Dan DeRose, uh, one of your brethren here, uh, with, uh, with Link. So the three, the three entities uh, formed the company, and uh, we've been in, on a mission to really focus on the digitization of the service model. So we're literally looking to transform the way mechanical service contractors deliver service. And we're gonna share with you the technology we think is gonna be able to get that done. In terms of, of transformation, if we can achieve this, we feel that fundamentally we can really drive service income growth. Like that's our, that's our beacon. We really wanna drive service income growth. And the way you get that done is really three strategies. You know, protect the, protect the contracts that you have, renew them, uh, drive gross profit increases on the contracts themselves, and then go secure new contracts through a differentiated model. If you achieve those three things, you're gonna hit the goal of, of service income growth. I know that Bruce and Marty both hit on this yesterday. We're aligned on that mission. But to get that done, we really need to optimize workforce. Everybody's been talking about labor. We know it's a big issue. You gotta retain the force you got, you gotta recruit new technicians, and then you gotta compress the development of those technicians over time. And so if you achieve that, then we think we can achieve the three strategies we talked about just a moment ago. We do a lot of primary research. This is a guy we met in the mall that basically gave us a lot of indications of kind of what was going on in his world and his challenges. You probably know this guy. You familiar? Look in the mirror. In terms of productivity, you know, if you are going to optimize your labor force, we see the labor force as a pool of labor, okay? And if we can make that labor force more efficient, those hours that were being used inefficiently can now be redirected to billable hours. If you look at this model, 
If you've got 10 technicians and you achieve about a 5% productivity gain in the course of a year, you're going to generate about $750,000 in service income in, in five years. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have 50 techs or unfortunate enough to have 50 techs, um, you're basically going to look at about a $3.7 million gain in service income from increased productivity because we're redirecting those labor hours that were inefficiently being used to billable hours at 150 an hour, not including overtime. So let's talk a little bit about the platform. Talk a little about the business side of things. Now let's talk about the physical platform itself. The workhorse of our platform is the Pulse. It's a circuit board that sits inside of a unit that has sensors attached to it. We'll get into the details in a sec here. The, deep, the uh, sensors gather data, push that into the circuit board. The circuit board uploads that data to a cellular gateway, a dedicated cellular gateway that's independent of any communication inside the building or, or owned by the client. So from a security and a reliability perspective, it's a private network. Mm. We upload that into the cloud and we've created something called HVAC service, service Ops Analytics. Unlike the big building analytics, these are analytics that, that really handle rooftop unit performance, operating parameters to help you in Service Ops do a better job of delivering service. We'll talk about that in some detail. When that data is then available, uh, we can access it via mobile application and by desktop applications. What we're trying to do here is create collaboration, another big word used yesterday, right? We're trying to, try to create the field and the service, uh, the, field, the field and the actual uh, office collaboration between those teams so they can be looking at the same data simultaneously in real time. Now you can think about what that looks like from a, from a dispatch perspective, from a supervisor perspective, and from that field technician with the mobile app. One of the things we talk about is that because we're permanently gauged up on that rooftop with a pulse, it's really like having an ATEC next to that machine on a seven by 24 hour basis. We're collecting data in one minute intervals. Think about that, one minute intervals. So we're inspecting machines every minute, not four times a year. What do you think that does for you as a service ops team having access to that high resolution data? In terms of remote data collection, um, as I indicated, it's web accessible, one minute interval data. Look, here are the parameters that we're looking at. We've got return supplier. We've got, uh, by the way, we have a utility grade meter on every one of those boards. So we're looking at energy consumption in real time. Uh, and then of course we have uh, refrigerant temperature and uh, pressures that are also included in those sensors uh, on the board. We can identify machine state, and then, obviously, with that kind of data now, we can remotely diagnose what's going on. So when we get an alert, we now have access to information in real time, remotely. We don't have to go on site and inspect that machine. Here's the board itself. Uh, this board has evolved, and it's going to continue to evolve. Uh, we actually have a second-generation board design on the books that we're actually in the, in the process of developing, having gained 18 months of experience in the field, actually probably 21 months now. Um, but here's what it supports. Up to four circuits. If you have a larger uh, unit, we can actually double up and, and support up to eight circuits in that scenario. Uh, we've got eight pressure sensors, you see the temperature sensors, and then we've got the humidity and you've got the uh, power meter I was just alluding to. In terms of uh, the real-time data, the parameters that we're collecting, you can see here the air side and the vapor cycle, 
And as I talked about the, uh, with a with a utility grade meter, the electrical characteristics including EER. So pretty much, pretty much a treasure trove of, of, of information that can be used. As I mentioned, um, you know, my background, uh, what we did with building advice, and then on the IQ side, what we did with their advice, got a lot of background in developing analytics. But one of the things we knew, and I, I spent time with Dan on this uh, early on with his team, was that we really needed to change the way information was going to flow into service ops. Nobody's ever really focused on service operations from an analytics standpoint. All the analytics had kind of been up above in the controls world and, and up above in the whole building, but nobody's really focused on it from a machine level and really providing that high resolution data in real time. And so, so we're kind of inventing this as we're going, but we've got a bunch of what we call building insights that we've created, which we'll share with you here today. The way it works then is, you know, we're pulling that data in real time. Um, these are the values that we're pulling in from the sensors themselves. We run it through an analytics engine in the cloud. And then we've gone to a, a you know, a, a red, orange, yellow, green kind of a paradigm. So there's rules engines that have been built that basically are evaluating those, those values as they're coming in and slotting them into one of those categories. And what's cool about this is you can actually customize this. So we're actually releasing in about two weeks what we call flexible insights, where you as an end user can actually identify the parameters that you want to focus on and create what we call ad hoc types of reports uh, to handle unique situations. You know, you all work in different climates. You all have different types of, different types of contracts. Uh, a G contract in uh, Alaska is going to have other certain characteristics about it versus uh, somebody down in South Carolina. So, these are things that you can take into effect and really personalize, customize, right down to the unit level, or the building level, or, or your whole operation. So, as we think about a framework, we're moving from a reactive model to a predictive model. So, no matter what, how you instrument these systems, they still fail, right? So, we are going to have things that go bump in the night, and we call that reactive. Now, it's a different kind of reactive, it's a very informed reactive, right? So we have a no heat or a no cool, we're gonna dispatch somebody. But the difference is, when we dispatch them, we're doing it with precision. Because we've been effective in diagnosing exactly the source of the problem. So we have what we call an R5. R5 is the right diagnosis, the right technician, the right tools, the right spares, on the right machine. Now think about that from a Gross profit perspective, what does that mean for contract gross profit margin increases? If we can be that precise, how much more can we make per contract? And how many more contracts can we fulfill because of an expanded labor pool that's not being wasted on callbacks, truck rolls, re-rolls, customer callbacks, all those kinds of things. When we go to proactive, we're basically seeing a little bit more information that gives us a little bit of pause. But what's great about it is like we can really intelligently dispatch at this point. If it's a yellow alert, we make a conscious decision, maybe a supervisor looks at it and says, you know what, we got a PM visit in about four weeks, let's just hang tight. Maybe we tighten up the parameters a little bit just to keep an eye on it. But we now have making conscious decisions about when we roll that truck. By the same token, if it evolves into an orange level, okay, this is getting a little bit more severe, we may now begin to move into the predictive model. So what's the difference between, between proactive and predictive? Well, now we can look at things like trend data. 
right? So I can start looking at parameters on this over time. I can look at when this started. I can look at what the trending is. Is it getting worse at some accelerated rate? And do I in fact need to dispatch or can I hang tight? Again, can I aggregate the alert and turn that into a ticket that when they go on site to do the PM, they're doing it with more knowledge. And so this is the idea uh, behind, again, driving gross profit margin and using your labor force more efficiently and increasing your capacity to take on new, new, uh, new accounts. So that's the idea behind this, this reactive, proactive, predictive model. This was uh, something that showed up on Reddit the other day. We all got a kick out of it, so we thought we'd show you. How many of you guys have remote locations that you've got a service that are maybe two hours, three hours away? That's a big waste of time. Your ability to diagnose that remotely, okay, can cut down on the, on the need for that individual to go on site. Now, if we got a reactive call, no cool, no heat, then maybe we dispatch. But when you got windshield time, it chews up time. We actually have an account in Southern California utility where the average drive time is about two to three hours per, per location. And so, and you got LA traffic to boot, right? So, so uh, that windshield time is a, is a real drain on, on margin and efficiency and your labor pool. You're using it efficiently. These are some of the building insights. I only put these up uh, just to give you an idea of the depth and breadth of the insights that are already available. And what we're really looking forward to with Link, uh, Marty and Bruce and I have been talking about this, is that with a group like this, we can really collectively really build out that library uh, and, and really make it uh, a meaningful uh, source of value. So, the way you get to workforce optimization is through what we call virtual services. This is the fun part. In fact, um, we call it the money shot. So, we've gone through real-time data collection, right, and how we pull that data. We've talked a little bit about the analytics, very valuable. But where we make the money is on what we call virtual services. It's a provocative statement. You know, one, one hour of virtual services has the potential of reducing on-site labor by three to five hours. Provocative. We see examples of it. Do we see it every day? No. But the point is, we just want you to be thinking about the power of these services we're going to outline for you. In terms of access, I alluded to the fact that we have we really created these dashboards for different personas. So a dispatcher has different needs than a supervisor than maybe a virtual A tech versus the tech that's in the field. And so every one of these dashboards is unique to that individual. And then we have the mobile app that a tech can use. So think about that. So you're a tech, you're gonna be heading off to do a preventative maintenance on a, on a Thursday, it's Wednesday night, and you just check on your machines. Just go take a quick look at them and see what you're going to be up against next uh, tomorrow. And then we're going to we're going to walk you through some other uh, aspects of what we call the pre-PM and some of the other services. It all resides around this concept of a virtual tech. Okay, and our vision for a virtual technician is this is an emerging function that we're going to see in the industry. This is probably going to be a senior tech. We all know about the great retirement. You know, guys who are in their 50s that are getting a little tired of putting a 40-foot ladder up and climbing up on a roof in 110-degree heat. You know, Dan up in Buffalo, he's got the, uh, the bluebird days up there of, you know, 20 below. These are not great situations for some of our aging technicians, and yet we really can't afford to lose them. And we really see the virtual tech as a really great opportunity for some of our senior techs to roll into a role 
where not only can they apply their knowledge and expertise to transactional situations on rooftops, but maybe more importantly, they can fundamentally compress the development time it takes to bring on some of these younger techs. So it's really about scale and reach of these experts that we're losing. And so I see this as a huge opportunity. We've played it out at, at uh, Mazza. We've played it out at Total. Um, if you're in a, a, an environment like Total, where you maybe have seven or eight offices, you know, this is not something you have to stick in every office, right? You can actually consolidate that locations. By the same token, if you have an office where a senior guy is going to retire and he's expressed interest, bring him in. He can support other offices. So that's, that's the idea behind virtual tech. The concept of a virtual pre-PM, think about it this way. 25 rooftops. We're going out next week. Which ones are you going to focus on? Which one, which of those 25? You can't cage up 25 units on the contracts you got, right? So you got to use your senses, right? How accurate are senses? Some better than others, but they're not perfect. The idea behind a pre-PM is that we can now proceduralize and task the inspection of those units before you go on site and stack rank based on performance parameters, which seven is that tech going to focus on based on the diagnostics that we ran? So think about that. How much more efficient are you going to be? How many hours do you gain? And what will you do in those hours? Because you're increasing the capacity of your pool. Virtual inspections, I have to laugh. When Dan and I first got together, we started designing some of these things. I asked the question, I said, Dan, how do you manage risk? We get all these G contracts. How do you manage risk on some of your bigger contracts? He said, truck rolls. He said, 12 truck rolls a year. You know, once a month we're out there inspecting. How expensive is that? How much labor does that chew up? What if you had a virtual tech that can inspect those machines on those critical systems and do it remotely from a desk? How powerful is that? How much early warning? How many yellows do we find that can turn into oranges and turn into reds, right? That's the idea. And then finally, another thing Dan talked to me about, he said that you know, he had an office that the margins were dropping and he went to see kind of what was going on and sure enough, the, the inspections had had stopped because the supervisor was focused on other things and other emergencies. We all know it's chaotic. So the beauty of this system is that we can be inspecting that the effort pre and post PM. We can look at the state of the machine before the PM was conducted. We can look at the machine post PM. And all that is fully automated. And now a supervisor can sit down with a tech periodically and review kind of where are we cutting corners here and where can we, it's a coaching opportunity. Not only, not only can you enforce PM standards, but maybe more importantly, we can help train and further develop that technician. So in terms of, of how we're increasing gross profit then, it's really this concept of intelligent dispatch, R5. Right tech, right diagnosis, right tool, right spare, right machine. And, and really preventing the risks. So we don't want failures. A lot of you guys have G contracts. We all know what happens when something fails. You're eating it, right? So we're always looking for opportunities to prevent that. And then as we go to the PM, the virtual PM services, uh, we got by outline that. You can see again where we can save labor and reallocate that labor to focus on growth. You guys ever run into this? I know the guys in South Carolina have them, but uh, <laughs> I know Dan has. <laughs> so, 
So the other thing that's really exciting is, is the customer engagement. Uh, I, I can call on, on the guys from Total who have done a ton of work in this area with this. Bill Luke has done a tremendous job in this area. Uh, uh, Christy and her team have done an outstanding job engaging customers because it's a new conversation. Think about it. Service is invisible. We all know that. It's hard to, to convey to the client how, how good of a job you're doing. They don't know. And so now we have an opportunity because we're, we're moving from a four inspections per, per, per year to minute by minute. How do you characterize that? How do you educate your customer for them to understand the investment you've made and the degree of improvement and differentiation your service contract has versus your, versus your competitors? This is the fun part though. So really, uh, what we're really challenged by is how you take that data and engage the customer in understanding exactly what you're delivering. And we really have, it's a really a wonderful opportunity to read vision care. So you can get really technical, but you need to summarize it. That was the challenge in the field that we ran into with Bill and his team. Uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll share kind of our, our observations around that. In terms of targeting clients, what's fun is, you know, any environment where uptime is critical. You know, I think we've, we've just naturally kind of gravitated to a lot of the manufacturing environments over the course of the last 18 months. And obviously, their uptime is critical. Food processing, medical, these are all uptime environments that, that this type of technology lends itself to. Beyond just GP growth, it's actually securing new clients. Risk management. If you guys have full service contracts, obviously if we can catch things at yellow before they go red and lose compressors, um, this is a, a wonderful opportunity for gross profit uh, improvement on the contract and exposure. And then finally scale. You know, we see a lot of situations with folks like yourself. One of the targets that we have, and you'll, we'll see this in just a second, is the YMCA. There's 300, there's 3,500 YMCAs around North America. Most of you guys have YMCAs in your territory and a lot of you are servicing them. We see this as a national opportunity that I think Bruce and, and Marty and myself and Rick will be focusing on and bring rolling this out with case studies as we do that. Both Total and Mazda are engaged with WISE right now. Pulse is installed. We're getting great results. You'll see a, a little blur here in a minute. Um, but also, you know, branches. So if you've got a, a, a national bank or a regional bank, their headquarters in your area, and you like to pick off more buildings, what better way to do that than to implement something like this show your differentiated model and go get the rest of those buildings. And the other thing you're doing, and we're, we're getting ready to experiment with this, is you can hold subcontractors to PM standards. So if you're in remote areas that you can't service, you can now inspect what they're doing and know did they conduct that PM or not, right? So, so again, more opportunity for growth for your sales teams. So case studies. Um, what we're going to do now is kind of walk you through a handful of uh, case studies um, that uh, both Mazda and Total have been able to execute against. And the focus here is, is on these three strategies of contract retention and uh, contract growth and new service contracts. So the first client is a large production uh, facility. Um, the, there was a buyout of the organization and new leadership came in. And lo and behold, you've probably never heard this before, they wanted to know what you're really doing for for that contract. Service is invisible. And so they were pressuring and indicating the potential for no renewal. Christie uh, had the foresight to say, let's, let's stick this in and see what happens. Well, they did. 
And not only did they get the service agreement uh, renewed, but, oh, David, actually, I'm gonna go ahead and turn this over to you for a minute. Actually, let me, let me take a quick step here. So, this was a situation where we actually invented a new report for the client, working with Bill and, and Christy, and coming up with something that could be used for both executives and for the engineering side of the operation as well. So it's a, uh, it's a report that we've, we've come to market with, and, and David's gonna explain it to you.
So yeah, there's a great, great example of, of innovation by the sales team. Um, the techs received as heroes. Um, they actually were able to get on site uh, and actually uh, protect two, two units from failing. And it drove the renewal and uh, almost $300,000 in upgrades. And I gotta think that maybe the total investment on the whole side that the clarity side was about $7,000. So, you know, it's a, I would say it's not a representative example of every building you're gonna go into, but it's a great example of how you can innovate. And we've got a few others behind it we'll talk about. So, um, in this particular operation, it's another manufacturing facility, uh, another total client. Uh, uptime and risk management were big concerns. But because they were European owned, um, they uh, had some carbon emission goals. And, uh, and so the facility manager was under some pressure to, to drive that. Um, it's a GPM agreement. And uh, in the course of our analysis, we discovered that there was seven by 24 hour fan operation. And so by identifying that and then coordinating with their third party controls uh, company, they were able to modify uh, the operation. And uh, in that process, they not only generated $40,000 in energy savings for that facility, uh, which probably paid, I think, for the contract for three years, those savings. But more importantly, the facility manager achieved his carbon emission objective in the first two months of the year. So needless to say, they view their, their supplier north, or total control, total comfort, uh, they, they view them in, uh, in, in uh, very positively. So, so another, another example is the YMCA. I mentioned that we have two uh, now in our inventory, one in total. It just got installed in the last couple of weeks, Scott McHenry and his team. And then uh, we also just uh, installed one up in uh, up in Olean, up in, uh, up in upstate New York. It's a GLP agreement. Um, what we discovered uh, once we got the systems in was the COVID protocol uh, was still having an impact on building operation. What does that mean? Louvers are wide open, fans are running constantly, and it created some real problems. Not only do you have an energy tax there because you got to recondition that air, but it puts a tremendous strain on the heat exchangers. And so you're looking at 14 units, you're looking at about $28,000 of potential heat exchanger replacement, could, which could be a $28,000 to a $28,000 impact on the, on the uh, gross profit of that, uh, of that contract. And so what this really has led to is, is not only better performance, but also an asset planning opportunity with a client because we identified units that either need to be replaced or they're not sized correctly. And so that dialogue is, is, is just now going on and Dan and his team are, are driving that. The fourth example is a TV station, uh, again, down in the south. Um, the, uh, again, we had a situation where we had a new facility manager coming in. Uh, again, we were doing the, the invisibility of service. Uh, and what was really cool is that uh, in an uptime is obviously very critical. So what's kind of cool is this was a, another example where really the techs were the heroes. Uh, they found some uh, plug capillary tubes and before the uh, units actually failed, uh, the tech got on site and actually was able to correct some issues before the customer even knew there was a problem, um, which led to a unit replacement proposal. Uh, Bill Luth again uh, used some of our building advice tools, in this case the uh, project financial analysis tool, which looked at the cost of replacement 
and ran a financial account that generated a 1.6 year payback for the replacement of the unit. Uh, and Bill, I believe you've gotten that order, have you not? All right. So, um, and needless to say, the, the new facility manager was impressed. Again, the techs got on site before he knew he had a problem. They're concerned about uptime. Just another reinforcement of how these guys are doing business a little differently than the competitors. So we're now at the conclusion of the presentation, and I want to just kind of introduce you to uh, where we are now. So the pilot phase is pretty much is done. It's been done for a while now. Uh, and where we are is in discussions with Marty and with Bruce and Rick, we really want to expand this out into the network. And to do that, we want to do a very controlled rollout. We're thinking that maybe six, six, uh, six companies that we'd like to target to go to the next level in the implementation of the program or the platform. And we haven't completely locked in on um, how many units, how many buildings. That's still to be worked out. We're working that out right now. But we are looking for six contractors that are willing to make a commitment. And a commitment, just to give you an idea, from a deployment standpoint, don't worry, Nate, I'll get back to that in a second. So deployment, is, it looks like this. Basically, you're looking at a team of one to two supervisors and two technicians. If you've got multiple locations, we really like to go into one location first and really lock it down. Um, we target maybe five to 10 buildings, somewhere in that range initially. Um, we then look at each individual building with you. Uh, David and his team basically focus on how to configure it and what to lay out for each location. And then we do a virtual training process where we train you and your technicians uh, in the use of the technology. And in many cases, we actually dispatch David and his team to come on site for the installation for that first uh, uh, group of buildings to really cross-train the techs, get on the roof and really be there with them. And then finally, um, yeah, we, but there it is. So, sorry, I kind of repeated myself there. And then the last piece is the data workshop, and this is, this is the fun part. When the data flows, it gets real interesting because that's where you're finding the real value. And so the teams get pretty excited because David walks you through how to look at the data, how to interpret the data, and we go through a workshop kind of a format in, in your buildings, coming up with those recommendations and then engaging the team and enabling the uh, care team to go in and have conversations with your clients uh, and use that data, bring the information back, rinse and repeat. So that's the idea about how a deployment works. Um, with that, I'm gonna go back to the close and encourage you to go to con-ed.nclarity.com or take a picture with your phone and you can pull down a white paper that you can then share with members of your team that work here today. And then any of you have interest, um, we're here, we can answer questions, we also can set up a one-on-one -on -one presentation looking at live data uh, with you and any members of your team. So I'd like to open it up to any questions, comments. <clears throat> Sir? Have there been any conversations about adding static pressure measurements? Yes. <clears throat> so uh, with one of the board redesigns that we've come out with, uh, we have a sensor, as we call this right now. Uh, we are looking into bringing in static pressure so that we can do pressure differentials across whatever we're looking for. There was a brief discussion about gas pressures potentially, but we haven't gone any farther with that. Uh, but static pressure is the next one that's the forefront of our minds. And then finding uh, the, uh, just the, the device that we can use to analyze that and then have to communicate to our board. That's the part that we're looking for. 
so far, it's it's honestly it's by the end of the year. By the end of the year, yeah, we're in design right now. We have engaged a we have an electrical engineer on staff that's actually driving that process as we speak. And to jump off of that, the board's already built. We're testing that. We've got that part done. Now it's just getting the components that can actually communicate with us. So as long as we can get something that's analyzing, you know, the pressures themselves, and then it can communicate back, and that's something that it's it already has to exist. So it's just finding the right one.
they're very solid state, so there's not a lot of issues with it unless there's like a, you know, if you're in a chlorinated, uh, chlorinated environment where it's actually eating the board, that would be an issue, of course. Uh, humidity is an issue overall, so don't let it get wet. That's what I'd recommend. But sensors, we don't have any that I've seen that have failed, like straight up out in the field. Uh, again, they're solid state. You might see something with the pressure transducers, but everything else got, I mean, they're thermal resistors and uh, usually the relative humidity sensors might be the thing that fails, but dry bulb still works at the very least. Yeah, that was actually one of the things we spent time, we spent a year uh, designing a, what we call a daughter board, which affixes to the unit and changed out the relative uh, humidity and temperature sensor to a new digital format. And it took about a year of engineering to get that done. So uh, the initial design had a fault that we basically uh, corrected. Will system self-diagnose if it does have a bad sensor or something along that nature? That's part of the So even in commissioning, so there's it's a relatively complex, uh, not to a technician, but just a layman uh, install. So what we want to have it do is that it can actually see a lot of the values that we're getting, and it can diagnose those things. So if we're seeing negative values, we're seeing uh, issues with voltage imbalances, things like that. You don't actually analyze that stuff, but today it doesn't do it. It's a very uh, as the technicians are looking at the data, as we're looking at the data, uh, we're able to actually pinpoint what those things are that are failing, and then we can. We don't see a lot of those already, so that's kind of the thing where it's a good problem to have. We don't see failures, so we can't diagnose failures. Um, oh, back here. So when you log into the cloud, uh, so I'm like, if you have, uh, say, six sites where you have this implemented, do you have to go to each individual site's website or whatnot, or are you able to bring all of your end clarity devices into one interface? So we've got our, uh, our desktop application, and if you're part of a company, let's say, uh, for example, I just pick on TCS, and you've got six different locations, uh, we're building the hierarchy, so everything's gonna sit underneath one uh, desktop app. So, you know, Bill at TCS is looking at units that are across all of TCS, but you can also have it done by region, you can have it done by that building, but it's all set up. Yeah. yeah, the hierarchy is basically company, um, portfolio, buildings, rooftop units, pulse units. And you're aggregating it every step. Yeah, yeah shipping time and onboarding timeline. Uh, so shipping time, we have these things already pre-built. Uh, they're at our factory. So if you call today and you want it in order to ship, uh, we can probably have it out within the week. Onboarding time, that comes down to uh, when we can schedule for training, when you guys can schedule to be on site, because like any project, you need to have that time and the resources allocated to it. Uh, depending on how many units uh, it could take. The training-wise, I usually spend about three hours talking about all the different applications, bringing everybody in at different intervals. So how we train the technician, how we train the service manager, how we train the dispatcher, and how we train the ops leaders. So that's about the onboarding time. Um, here goes the used car salesman, right? <laughs> Did you want an auto hybrid then? <laughs> Today, yeah, exactly. Keys on the roof. Um, all those great techniques. No, I think that uh, I think the easy way to say this: fully everything in. You know, there's a, a hardware component. There's a SaaS software license component. 
cellular gateway, cellular charges and all that stuff, the analytics, blah, blah, blah. That's about, about all in about 1200 bucks per unit. Okay, at list. Link, and I haven't really worked this out with, with Marty yet, but Link, we're gonna drop that down to about 800 bucks. And then we're also talking about another level for the six contractors that come in uh, that'll be even below that. And so, what ABM Franchising Group and, and Clarity are looking at doing is underwriting the next phase so that it could be a third, a third, a third. So we're really gonna invest. Yeah, so, uh, excuse me, year, year two, so after that, that initial phase, it's $144 per pulse unit per year. And that covers all your licenses and analytics and cell and all that stuff. So do you envision the G contracts as having this rolled into it, not as a separate add-on, just, hey, we're doing this and we're different than everybody else? Yeah, I think there's two ways to do it, and this is going to be the fun part working with Kelly and her team and others, but I, I suspect it's going to be, here's a G contract, and here's a G plus. And so you might present this as an option to a client, especially in a mission-critical environment. Uh, and so our thinking right now, this is why we want to expand this out, is if we want more statistical data, not anecdotal data, on the financial return on investment. Because if we can really lay out the ROI, Right now, we're kind of notionally saying, you know, you know, sales can probably pay for half of this in the sense we get the customer to upcharge a bit, and the other half can be covered by operational gain, right? So that's the thesis or hypothesis at the moment, and why we want to expand out is we want to build a bit of business case for you guys. Does that address your question? Okay. Are chillers in the short run or long run? End of the year. And we're looking at production chillers. Uh, this is something Dan has been promoting heavily with his team. We have we have a lot of accounts and everything ready to go. It's just where do we put our time? You know, take a step back. Somebody asked a question. David gave an answer, and I just want to I want to make it clear why we're doing what we're doing. There's something like 15 million rooftop units in North America, right? That are in operation. Almost half of them are 15 years old. It is the most underserved market on the planet. It just happens to align beautifully with the service contracts that you guys have, right? So we really feel that if we can do a 100% job on this, we got more business than we'll ever need. However, there's still debates inside the team that say, let's go branch out. My job is to keep everybody focused. Because if you can do one thing well, as you guys know in the world, especially as a startup, you got a huge opportunity. And I think it aligns with a lot of things you guys are trying to do. Mm.
levels yet to get to that. So you've got pressure transducers. Uh, they serve up to 40 bars of pressure, so that's like 6,700 PSI. Uh, then you've got your line temp sensors, they're thermal resistors. You've got relative humidity sensors and temperature. Uh, in the air side, you do have CTs, and then we bring uh, line voltage into the board that's electrically isolated from the rest of the board. So you can actually bring it basically more power over the paint monitor. So you can actually see all three lights of voltage independently of each other, and the CTs off each one of those. So each of the prices are just the whole package all the sensors. So if you, you've got two circuits, you're working a two-circuit kit, and it comes with everything in it. If you've got four circuits, you're getting all parts of the four circuits. So complex train rover, and all that, you've got four, ten, four, fifteen. So when we start talking circuits, there's a lot of questions about that. Do you have, uh, you know, how many compressors can you handle if you've got tandem compressors? Uh, so you've got two on circuit one, you've got two on circuit two, it can handle both of those fine. You know, if you've got independent compressors where you've got multiple circuits in that system, uh, it's how many circuits you have, that's how many you put on up to four. So most uh, Intellimax, they'll hit probably four circuits just fine, but uh, beyond that, you have to bring in other pulse and then twin them together and it does the same thing. So uh, that's kind of the basis of it. So. Is it back It's not back then. That's one of the core design issues we're looking at. It's a, it's a, it's a strategic decision, right? So, again, staying focused on service ops and not getting into the control world um, is kind of our mission. So, there's a debate going on internally on that. And we'll take input from any of you, any of our clients. So, uh, it's it's a raging debate inside the company right now. Is there a rooftop limit size, like a 75-ton <clears throat> size limit that it works on, or is it only for smaller rooftop? Today, it's 100 tons. 100 tons. Thank you so much, everybody. Really appreciate it.